Hello and welcome to Double Stint at Sebring, Sports Car 365's coverage of this year's Super Sebring event. I'm joined today by Sports Car 365 reporter Daniel Lloyd, and we'll recap the WEC prologue. With new cars and an expanded top class, there's plenty to cover. Dan, we've spent the last couple of days trackside in Sebring. How have you enjoyed the time so far? Oh, it's been brilliant, Jonathan. First of all, just to see so many cars in the top category uh, sharing the track. Um, as always, it's such great excitement at the start of the season, but I think particularly this year um, with so many new cars coming in, um, especially in hypercar, it, it's really at fever pitch and it was great to see the cars on track get a first flavor of what's to come this season. Yeah, this top class has, has expanded massively. An updated Toyota, uh, the Cadillac has come over from IMSA, so too has uh, the Porsche. We have a new Ferrari in the 499P, a new Peugeot. I guess we saw it last year, but still relatively new by all accounts. The Vanwall is here. We're very, very excited to see that. Glickenhaus is back. There's a lot to talk about here. I don't even know where to start, but I guess we should start by saying that Jose Maria Lopez was the fastest overall, a 1 minute 48.208 second lap. Jose Maria Lopez did 84 laps over the course of the prologue, but really Toyota looked to be the the class of the field, at least in the opening running here. Yeah, despite all of the uh, new additions to the category and all of the excitement surrounding hypercar growing, it was sort of business as usual at the top of the timing sheets. Um, the Toyota's pretty consistently um, at the top. It was only the second session on Saturday afternoon that uh, El Bamba topped for Cadillac. Um, but yeah, generally the Toyotas were, were right up there, um, seemed to be running like clockwork. They um, a, a cursory look at the the, the lap charts. They, they seem to do more more laps than than their rivals. So it, it was a really strong outing for the Japanese manufacturer, and, and um, they'll be happy with that because they've had some updates on the car over the winter. A chance to sort of prove those those uh, items in in an official test session, and it seemed to be working well so far. I, I think they were happy with it. They appeared to be the favourite on paper, but I think in the Toyota camp, there's also a feeling that the others. Uh, are certainly going to uh, eat into the gap and, and there might still be some more lap time that they need to find. But um, I, it was an encouraging start from Toyota, um, the defending world champions. They've obviously got a lot of pressure on them this season. Yeah, and you look at the times and between the manufacturers, the gap isn't all that large. I know it's it's testing and we've had a lot of track running. Just over 12 total hours of running over two days is a lot of track time and plenty of time to iron out kinks. Uh, people got to do qualifying simulations, presumably race simulations, uh, really put the cars through their paces. I think for Toyota, though, you mentioned the number of laps. I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that they kind of just stayed out of the garage. This is a platform that they're used to. It's fairly reliable for the most part and some of those reliability kinks that come along with a new car they haven't really had to iron out in testing whereas some of the other cars did yeah that's right um some of the other manufacturers uh, had cars that spent some uh fair chunks of time in the garage uh, in particular um, well one example was the number 93 Peugeot which spent um, the entire of the final session in the garage it's a mechanical issue that we don't know the exact cause of yet but it was enough to keep that car out for three hours and it's just things like that where you have these these newer cars that uh, they're, they're still discovering things on them even though as you mentioned earlier the Peugeot's done already uh, three races in the WEC last season that there are still things that, that could crop up um, and, and any mileage lost is going to be um, frustrating for those teams. Perhaps one of the most notable ones was the number 51 Ferrari 499P, which had an accident on Sunday morning. James Collado uh, lost the car at turn one on cold tyres. He was on his outlap uh, and and it's uh, a new regulation for this year that teams don't have tyre warmers. So um, uh, Collado, unfortunate there to get caught out, uh, but that resulted in 
um, uh, that car not being seen for the rest of the day, um, which again for Ferrari as a manufacturer, despite all the testing they've done, every single lap is going to be valuable for them. And, and they certainly wouldn't have enjoyed seeing the uh, 51 getting stripped down in its garage there. So um, yeah, lo- lots of storylines up and down the field. Um, Toyota seemed to be the one that kept it out on track for the most part, but um, there were others that, that did decent mileage. The Cadillac looked pretty strong. Uh, the Porsche 963s also um, seem to run a decent program. So uh, there's lots of interesting things happening in that hypercar field. I definitely also want to talk about the Floyd Van Wall racing team and the number four car. Really the first time that anyone in the public had, had seen the car. It's awesome to have them there. Glickenhaus is back uh, in that baby blue that they ran a little bit last year. Uh, two of the smaller manufacturers that are kind of hoping to mix it up with the big guys, both of them getting quality running. Uh, not near the top of the sheets, but again, this is just preliminary. We still have a couple of test sessions and practice sessions before the race. Yeah, and it, it was a valuable experience, I'm sure, for both of them. Glickenhaus hasn't tested since their last race outing at Monza eight months ago. Um, the, the Glickenhaus has had a couple of outings in private hands. I think there was one at Cota in January, but really the team hasn't run and this is their first outing back. So they, they were just getting laps. That, that was the whole idea for them. Um, the Van Wall has, has only just sort of really been going through the homologation process just before it, it came out here to, to Sebring and, and it was air freighted last Thursday I think it's been a bit of a splash for them to get over here but um, they, they've done it and as, and they've brought with them a 1997 Formula One world champion in Jacques Villeneuve and it was really cool to see him um, engaging in the WEC paddock um, he, he I think he was a bit frustrated today actually because he had a, a side-by-side contact with a GTE and Ferrari and that resulted in a bit of damage to their car um, another car that lost some time in the hypercar category so I think he's going to be itching for some uh, seat time when the free practice sessions come along during the week but yeah no good to see those cars there um, the Van Wall was the the closest of those non-hybrid elements MH cars to the top of the order but um, still a couple of seconds to make up when you look at the um, fastest lap times from each car but um, nonetheless it looks great and I think uh, a splash of green a splash of baby blue from the Glickenhaus it's uh, it's nice in amongst the other uh, liveries. Yeah, you mentioned the contact with the Van Wall. That wasn't the only contact in the hypercar class too. Peugeot had uh, a little bit of contact down the main straight with an LMP2 car. Oftentimes, you don't see teams push 100% in, in practice sessions and preseason testing sessions, but it's nice to see everybody kind of going full force here. Yeah, I, I think the, the teams would probably think otherwise. You know, you don't want to get any um, uh, damage in the prologue to, to give the mechanics any extra work. But uh, for a lot of these newer cars, um, it's they, they haven't done much running with other cars on track at the same time from other categories. Um, I know Ferrari has been uh, testing its LMH car and its new GT3 car uh, simultaneously, but that sort of is a bit different to, to actual traffic. So I'm sure um, the, the drivers are experiencing new things when they interact with the slower cars from both LMP2 and GTE. Um, It's difficult enough as it is on Sebring, but when you factor in these new cars um, behaving in different ways to the old LMP1 cars, it's going to be really interesting. And and yeah, we did have a few little bits of contact here and there. Um, But uh, yeah, I I suppose those are all going to be learning experiences that the teams are going to be taking. But um, at at the end, it was the Toyotas that uh, managed to keep it clean. Um, Really no issues to report on that side. And that's uh, probably part of the reason why we can consider them strongest heading into race week well dan let's talk about lmp2 kind of the usual suspects at the top of the timing sheets united autosport the 22 car philippe albuquerque uh with the top time a minute 50 and a half roundabout 
Uh, 97 laps for Albuquerque, and it was the 41 WRT in second. Prema Racing had the third quickest time, and Hertz Team Jota, Yifei Yi, with a 151 flat to round out the top four. The fastest cars that you would expect to see, uh, we are seeing. Interesting, too, to see the, the new livery on the Hertz Team Jota. They're, I think they've branded it Hertz Racing Gold, a striking livery that's reminiscent of what we've seen that they'll be running on the customer Porsche 963 when it's delivered later this year. Yeah, absolutely. A bit of a preview outing there for the um, Hertz Team Jota operation, which we'll see move up to hypercar uh, from the six hours of spa the third round of the season but um in the meantime they're mixing it with the usual contenders in lmp2 um everyone looks strong here to be honest although i must say i was a bit surprised to see alpine quite low um in the order the team that finished second in last year's hypercar world championship uh, spending a season in the lmp2 ranks they're sort of yet to show their hand i think but um certainly uh the, the there are sort of there are there are several strong cars in this category i mean we we don't have the pro-am class anymore in lmp2 um, and I've heard a couple of drivers sort of suggest that the the field as a whole is sort of stronger than it's ever been, really. I mean, we spoke a lot of last year even about how much stronger the P2 field had got. Lots of these teams are um, aiming for hypercar. And in fact, three of them are confirmed to join next year with different manufacturers. Um, but this season, it's a really intriguing field and it's going to be hard to... Um, uh, separate them but United certainly looks strong leading um, multiple sessions there with Albuquerque setting the quickest time so um, yeah we'll see how things progress during race week but I think P2 is going to be um, as difficult to read as always. Absolutely and you mentioned Alpine I think the Alpine Elf team as you said maybe not showing their hand we know the strength of this team in the top class and uh, they're spending this season keeping everybody frosty until we see their new LMDH car compete in hypercar I'm sure they'll make their way up to timing sheets in the coming practice sessions well Dan it wasn't all smooth sailing in LMP2 especially for the 28 Jota David Heinemeyer Hansen had a pretty decent accident. Uh, yeah, he did. It, it was right at the end of the running, uh, cut the final session short a bit with the red flag. Uh, DHH uh, in the Jota lineup after driving for into Europol competition in Europe last season. Um, great to see him back in the WEC, but he had a, a bit of a spill. Um, he had a coming together with the uh, Vista Jet Ferrari of Thomas Floor through the turn 13 kink. And, it, and it's sort of been a, uh, an area of contention on the track because uh, the WEC has changed the pit entry uh, since the last edition of the thousand miles of sebring last year um the pit entry has been brought forward a few corners and as a result there's a demarcation line going through that kink and it means that if a, if a car is going on the apex and then drifts to the right in order to slow and pit as it has every right to it sort of gets in the way of a, a potential car going around the outside for an overtake and, and that was exactly what happened with DHH and the Vistajet Ferrari both of them came away with some damage the the Jota car looked uh, pretty beaten up when it came back to the garage fortunately DHH was fine but it sort of uh, served as a bit of an example of a, a, a potentially controversial point among some of the teams so definitely watch this space there might be some changes to uh, the pit entry procedure here at, at Sebring because it was uh, obviously the WEC uses the uh, Ullman straight as its uh, pit lane it's a temporary pit lane at Sebring so it's sort of it's a not a a natural place in in which cars would normally pit so the championships had to make its own way of of getting cars into the pits and uh, yeah unfortunately we had a bit of an accident there related to that so we'll 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 see if any changes uh, are going to be made absolutely and, and definitely stay tuned to sports car 365 as we continue to follow the story and any potential updates that that may come Dan, let's talk about GTEM. Of course, no more pro class this year, so it's all pro-am in the lineups. But it was the number 56, Project 1 AO, that topped the timing sheets, although 
If you look up and down the top five, there's a Ferrari in the in the mix of the 83 with Chardonnay, of Corsa, but the 911 RSRs looked properly quick. Yeah, if you're going to take it on lap time alone, it was uh, the Porsche teams that seemed to have the upper hand at the prologue. As you mentioned, their Project One leading the way, but the Iron Dames were there as well. Michelle Gatting's time from the uh, Saturday morning session held up for quite a while before uh, Cairoli came through uh, in the final session. Um, GR Racing, the 60 Iron Lynx car, 77 Dempsey Proton Racing. In fact, both Proton cars, they were all right up there. Um, so it, it's certainly a, a bit of a statement from the Porsche teams and sort of, I know it's different regulations, but a complete reverse of what we had at Daytona when the Porsches were the other end of the uh, timing sheets, albeit in GT3 version. But yeah, certainly a promising start from those guys. I heard um, a couple of inklings, the Aston Martin teams are thinking that maybe they haven't got the performance for the outright pace here compared to some of the other cars. And, and that sort of rang true a bit in the timing sheets. They were um, conversely towards the, the lower end of the standings. Um, but yeah, some Ferraris in there as well. The um, Chevrolet Corvette C8R um, was in the mix as well. Nico Verone set that car's quickest time, um, even beating his uh, factory co-driver, Nicky Katzberg, which is quite impressive from the uh, Argentine uh, youngster. So it, it's an interesting order in GTM. We'll, we'll have to see how it all shakes out. Uh, some of these teams with new drivers, we've got a few new bronze rated drivers in this year. Um, the likes of uh, PJ Hyatt, who tried the series at the end of last season. We've got Ahmad Al-Harthy joining as well. Um, Stefano Constantini as well in the AF Corsa camp. They uh, unfortunately had an accident on Sunday. Um, so uh, lots lots of movers and shakers over the winter in GTEM and, and uh, certainly uh, it's going to continue to be a competitive class, I think. Judging by what we saw in the Times, though, Porsches are having the edge heading into race week and we'll sort of see how that situation evolves if the others are able to make up some ground. And Dan, just to quickly wrap up here, talking broadly about all the classes, Obviously, we saw some quick times. We saw the debut of new cars. We had some new drivers, some returning faces, some newer teams as well. It's a really, really exciting time for the sport. But we kind of mentioned this talking about the hypercar class. Everybody was pushing. It it really seemed like each team out there, regardless of class, was was really trying to make the most of each minute and each lap of the sessions. Yeah, you've got to at a time like this. And for a track as uh, unique as Sebring, um, every lap counts. and, And I think in particular with the new regular of the the ban on tire warmers it was important for bronze rated drivers in particular to get a feel for how long it takes them to get the tires up to temperature um when they can start pushing it's going to be so important in qualifying i think um when these drivers can have the confidence in the tires in order to get the full potential out of the car and those sorts of things were crucial and therefore it was it was key for teams to get as much mileage as possible during this prologue because the the track time's actually a bit shorter in the free practice next week because of the tight schedule we've got we've got the uh, mobile 112 hours of Sebring. We've got support series. So the WEC sessions are only an hour long. Normally we'd get a 90 minute session in there. So um, yeah, really crucial for them to get some good time at the prologue. And I think a lot of people achieve that. A lot of people will probably also be scratching their heads. Um, but that's the beauty of having this preseason test. We've now got a couple of days to go back, look at the data, do some homework, maybe get a bit of rest. And then we're back at it again during the week. Couldn't have said it better myself. And we'll see you in a couple days when Double Stint at Sebring is back for some IMSA news. But until then, that's it for us on this episode. If you have the time, we'd greatly appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. It really helps out the show. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're tuning in from. For Dan Lloyd, I'm Jonathan Grace. We'll see you right back here in a couple days for another edition of Double Stint at Sebring. <laughs>